Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi Olivia! Welcome to Thursday when we record the wonderful editions of this week's Weekly Typographic. Please excuse the sirens out my window. They're so loud. Why did they, they <laughs> weren't even here this whole time? That's okay. Hi. The world is still on fire and we're still trying to make the best of it. We're still recording this podcast. Oh, by the way, have you seen that um, TV show Midnight Gospel? No. It's interesting. I mean, it's super wacky and like very art school weird, but basically it's this guy that goes into the simulator where he goes into like these different worlds except he is interviewing them for a podcast the whole time. And so he has like this great podcast voice and they're just like talking about philosophy or whatever like normal podcasts talk about, except there's this crazy world happening around them of destruction and like fires and unbelievable things happening. There's like worlds getting destroyed behind them and they're just like casually talking about this podcast. So that's what that reminded me of. (laughs) That's interesting. What a way to start. This is great. I mean, it's visually incredibly beautiful. If I'm pretty yeah. sure Ion Design interviewed the illustrator that did the art for it because it's an animation. So Oh, it's animated. Yes, it's an animation. So it gets really, really wacky, but also very beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, that's my well, fun shoot. tidbit. Besides that fun tidbit, we've got a bunch of cool links this week and a fun nerd alert. Uh, wait, tease us. What's the topic? We're talking about all the great font editors, which are font design softwares available to you to start creating a font. That's cool. Yeah, lots of variety in this week's roundup. I actually wanted to share some fun news on type Twitter because like when does Twitter ever give fun positive vibes? I don't know. (laughs) So I was like, I definitely have to share these two things. Um, The first one was a very exciting tweet from Silas Monroe, who's an educator. He's um, the founder, I think, of Polymode Studio, but also an educator at Otis College. My alma mater. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. I know about him mostly because he did a great lecture on W.E.B. Du Bois's data portraits that I watched for research. Mm. But he posted something recently that I think everyone was like super excited to, to, to see. And that was him asking Twitter if they'd be interested in a standalone online BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, and People of Color centered design history course, say in Skillshare or Coursera or some other platform, I'm considering creating one. How cool would that be? That is very interesting. There's nothing out there like that. I mean, most design history is focused on like a Western male white gaze. And so (laughs) it'd be great to see a different format out there. How cool. I'm I'm going to be looking out for it. I definitely replied and was like, please do this. I loved your lecture on WEB Du Bois. So hopefully we're going to be seeing that soon. Other fun type Twitter news. This is like an anomaly. <laughs> type Twitter has its moments. Sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's, you know, very doom and gloom. But the other one that I was so excited about, I even tweeted about, and I like never tweet anything. So this was <laughs> real exciting, guys. Um, there's a typeathon going on right now for open source fonts. Oh, no, but I, I'm, I mean, that's interesting. I want to hear more because like our friend, our league friend, Jacob Ford was constantly always in the last few years trying to be like, how do we make a typeathon happen? And I'm like, such a good idea. I don't know. I mean, it sounds really great and sounds really well managed. So um, it's basically 40 designers from Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, and Peru. They're competing in a five-week friendly tournament to develop eight open source 
typefaces. This is also doubly interesting. They had an open call and eight teams with five people each joined. Every team has one leader, which is a professional with experience in type design, one captain who's a rising pro, and three players who are students or beginners. And there's going to be eight judges who are professional type designers that are helping and rating each project. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. What the heck? How is this not? I've never heard of this. I know. Um, My friend David Cutler shared it with me this week. Thanks, David. But super cool. 50% of the participants are women, which, as you know, type design is dominated by men. So also very cool. Um, And this Twitter thread I shared shows kind of the progress that they're making. And there's just some really cool stuff here. I know they have an Instagram that doesn't have very much posted on it but maybe they'll post kind of like the final projects and that is torneo fet t-o-r-n-e-o-f-e-t and it stands for federacion typografica 2020 very cool wow we i feel like we need to reach out to them somehow because that's that's yeah. up our darn alley just so many positive things happening on type twitter my goodness wow. So, I mean, just, I, I just want to give some updates and positive things happening in the world. Man, it seems like there's so many negative things happening in the world. So <laughs> No, I love it. That's great. <laughs> Let's continue the positivity with our links this week. Our first one I'm super excited about, I shared. It's called Hero Patterns. Um, it's a collection of repeatable SVG background patterns for you to use on your web projects or your print projects. I mean, mm. whatever you'd like to use it on. I've actually used this resource a couple times. I don't know if they've gotten to the final versions of my um, designs yet, but there's just a bunch of patterns that you can download. And it usually gives you like one small square of the pattern, then you can repeat it infinitely. So they're super easy to use, totally free to use. Some of the patterns include diagonal stripes. They also have lines in motion, morphing diamonds, but also simpler ones like waves and endless clouds i mean they're all geometric they're all vector some are goofier than others some are more straightforward but i'm super I'm a big to fan this. of the death star Ooh, i haven't i need a, one second let me find that <laughs> it's, it's just cool it's just uh, <laughs> it's just goofy but it's interesting because it both gives you the code to plop right into your css if you're working on the web or an svg to download and use however the heck you want I'm a big fan. Also, you can test out different background and foreground colors on this website. So you can try before you download because you don't have to buy. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. And it's it's awesome because it's Creative Commons, which is a very uh, awesome open source license where you are free to share it, copy it, redistribute it in any medium or format that you want. You're allowed to adapt it and remix it and change it however you want and they can't revoke your right to use it ever uh and the only the only thing that's really necessary is like providing some sort of attribution that this is where you found it i mean and this is some really great resources and like nothing in here is revolutionary but these are small patterns that i have made before manually and they're honestly a pain in the butt and they take time that i shouldn't be spending to take a to make a pattern mm. um so it's just nice that they have repeatable svgs available it's created by steve Shoger, who is also one of the co-authors of refactoring ui which we're a big fan of yeah totally so it's got a cool you. link to uh the 
his icon set too, which is not free, not open source, but really detailed and really cool and really adaptable. And honestly, not that expensive. I mean, I I love icons, but I am I do not love making icons from scratch. And so I'm mm-hmm. always like interested in even for sale ones. Not that like I we're feel... getting promoted, you know, they're, yeah. they're not paying us to promote though, but they're just good. Awesome. Yeah. I feel so about patterns. Yeah, thanks. I hate making patterns. Yeah, That's totally. For me. Okay, moving on. We got an article from It's Nice That, and it's an interview article with Eric Hu, and it is offering some advice on how to meaningfully use typography. So this article is a predecessor for an Adobe Live event that's going to be free, happening on, I think, August 10th, Monday. And... Eric, who will be focusing on the typographic element of his practice and offering any budding graphic or type designers um, some advice on how to, you know, revamp their portfolio. So it's going to be an open call for portfolios. You can submit it and he can review it. But in this article, um, there's still some great nuggets of, you know, good just like advice in here and, you know, portfolio advice, making sure that you're aware your portfolio might not be viewed in the most optimal of conditions. So make sure that it's mm-hmm. responsive and viewable on mobile and desktop. I think he has a really funny um, quote that says, maybe you'll come to the conclusion that trying to fit as many spreads of a book you designed into a single image won't be a good idea, for example. <laughs> I can think of that example too, which I thought was funny. Um, he also mentions quality always trumps quantity, which is, I think, a great portfolio advice. You want you know nuggets of projects you feel really good about when you get to speak to someone, potential employer or collaborator. So Show the work you're excited to show, is what he says. I like as that. Simple as that. So yeah, also Eric who used to be the design director at Nike. So he has major credentials behind his name. That's fair. That's pretty darn fair. Very cool. Check and cool that it. like, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for like a portfolio critique. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of budding graphic designers out there that probably have time to do that these days. So worth, worth a look. Um, our next one kind of jumps to a different field and that is how to create a strong visual identity for digital project, Pro- digital products. <laughs> I don't make digital products, but Micah does. <laughs> I was saying I, before this, I think it's so interesting that you make such a distinction of digital products. Uh, like digital, be, I guess someone who works mostly on the web, fairer, and I don't know, but even before this, like my design company when I was getting started out, I don't know, we made like logos, not just websites, but logos and all, all kinds of branding material and stuff, but almost never has the word digital popped into my brain. I just okay. think that's so interesting. Like we all, like we use computers to make stuff. So to me, it's just kind of like, oh, that's just design. But obviously, I mean, that's just me, whatever. That's fair. I'm always just have fear of, of digital products. No, I don't want you to be afraid of them. I just, it, it is somewhat a mystery of like how you create a visual identity for a digital product. Like I came into this being like, maybe I should learn something from this in case I have a client that needs some visual identity. That's interesting. Wait, so of all the like, like I know you've done, you've done lots of logos and lettering and branding work. None of them have been a quote-unquote digital product what do you what the, the closest thing i've gotten to that is a microsite visual design that's the closest thing i've never got into like a digital product meaning like you've never designed a logo for an app or like an online bank or a, a blog 
No, like I helped with the visual design of a microsite of a few of a couple different microsites. That's the closest thing. And that was so recently. And I felt like I was like a little bit over my head. Wow. That's fascinating. That's just so cool because it just kind of reminds me that like there is a much more expansive set of opportunities out there than I even think about on a regular basis. To be fair, when I when I had a design company, it was like me and my partner and sometimes worked with like contractors and stuff. We kind of didn't do a great job of getting clients. We just let clients come to us. That was like the first mm -hmm. few years of being in the industry. And I think I maybe just got used to the fact that maybe like we got a few quote unquote digital I can't even say it without quote unquote digital products that came to us in the beginning. And then, you know, maybe they like recommended to other people who were making apps and stuff like that, like Stripe. I mean, I can't say we made the design for Stripe, but like they came to us as a client when they were before they were called Stripe. And like, that's the kind of thing that I just thought was, it was like a startup. I didn't think of it as like a digital product. I thought it was like a startup. That's fair. That's fair. But that's kind of awesome that like, your experience has been that all of the clients that have come to you have been like in-person signage and like uh i think they're so yeah i like would say primarily i have done print and publication my first job was at penguin random house my second job was at event design um i freelance for a couple of event designs so yes a lot of it has been print i think when the pandemic started i was able to kind of take my skills and shift them into not necessarily a digital product but digital living designs so like that's marketing cloud role i've designed sales decks presentations mm. that are being emailed around um i've also like typeset a handbook for a company that was going to be used for internal communications wasn't necessarily getting printed and i actually had to design it keeping in mind people weren't going to print this pdf and probably just view it on their computer but yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> that's just real interesting i mean i'm not like opposed to going into it i just feel like uh I think that is what is interesting is that it's not like you're opposed to it. It's just a matter of what has landed in your lap is mm -hmm. not even, it's not that at all. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, that's it's just my kind story. Shows, <laughs> no, but it just shows that there's like a lot more variety than we think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I remember going into design and graduating college being like, I have to be a web designer because everyone's telling me every other industry is dying. And I'm still not a web designer. I did design yeah. my website with your help, but I would not call myself a web designer. <laughs> Which is beautiful. Well, okay. So this article was kind of interesting because it was, I think it was pretty approachable. Mm -hmm, for sure. There were a lot of good visual examples. Yeah. The fundamentals. Yeah. And they, you know, it's from Dribble, So they referenced a lot of dribble shots, which means if you like some of the work, you know, there's a button to like view their other work on dribble, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I think a more tactical idea that like we were discussing earlier that I found interesting is that they recommend creating a second mood board if the product is a web app. Um, and the second mood board will present some UI UX aesthetics aside from the visual identity mood board. And then you had an opinion on mood boards, which I wanted you to share. Yeah, so I guess I I have worked in the past with Thomas Jockin, friend of the league, who's like a type designer, and he hi, Tom. hi Thomas, he he had a pretty strong opinion on the usefulness of mood boards. That after talking with him, we were gonna like do a workshop on it, and after talking with him, I was kind of brought over to his side of the table in that discussion of like mood boards are tough as a tool for working with clients because there's not enough precision in like 
what a client likes that's on the mood board mm-hmm. and why they like it. Yeah. And so like his, you know, his whole theme is, is sort of, he has this technique that he's starting to call, I think, emotional mapping, which is being really explicit about getting a client to say what they like, like use adjectives to describe with this image, what you like about it, and then describe the opposite of it. So that you get a lot more clarity on what the heck they mean. Like if they look at something on a mood board and say, oh, that's so simple. What do they mean by simple? You might have an assumption of what that means to them, but maybe when they say the opposite of simple, it actually means like they actually meant minimal or, you know, uh, maybe it's just that they like that there's only one color being used, which is like maybe a thing you wouldn't guess. Yeah. Yeah. So like the usefulness of mood boards, just showing it to them and being like, Hey, how do you like it is a little tough without Mm -hmm. like a more precise mechanism to figure out what they like and dislike. Yeah. I get that. I honestly am not presenting mood boards to clients very often. I'm kind of picking up where someone else started most of the time with an existing identity. But I mean, I will at some point in the future be working with an independent brand. And I have such a hard time trying to figure out the right way to phrase my questions to make sure I get the correct answers of what people want out of a thing aesthetically. Mm-hmm. That's like a really great tip moving forward because like I know I will, you know, reach that bridge and have to figure out how to cross it. Yeah, like I, I, before Thomas, I never would have considered the idea of asking what we, what is the opposite of yeah. that adjective that you like, I but it gives so much clarity. So that was our article on how to create a strong visual identity, plus some uh, opinions <laughs> from Micah, which I think are equally valid. Um, certainly check it out if you want like a good intro to the fundamentals. Our next article, super excited from Maya Design, as everyone knows by now, one of my favorite design blogs. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I swear they don't sponsor us. That's just that's just me giving they my should. opinion. I know. Homa Delvere gives poster design a new dimension. So this is a interview with an Iranian designer who I've actually seen her work. She does these super intricate typographic posters, not always necessarily in a familiar language that we understand, but so captivating that you want to look at it anyhow. Um, She uses kind of like three-dimensional space. She renders it um, in these posters and she renders it in a really unconventional way that makes you try to solve a riddle that she's giving you in this visual graphic and trying to sort out what you know the meanings are behind it I think she has a really interesting perspective and says that the experience of space through the arrangement of typography is very important to her in my work I invert bend break hang and suspend letters and words I love that um, I personally spent a whole project getting inspired by physical verbs and seeing how that translates to typography. And I think that's like a really great way to kind of expand your mind about how more illustrative typography can work. And it's really interesting as someone who doesn't speak Farsi or like no Arabic languages to look at the shapes in such an artistic way as opposed to just normal writing, functional writing. Yeah, It's real fascinating to just kind of see them as shapes, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of wish I did that more often with languages I do understand. Like use English and just see the letters as shapes in an artistic sense 
this this kind of work makes me think, oh, I should do that more, just like get a different perspective. Right? Her glyphs are like so architectural, whether that means that they feel like they're actually buildings and that she combines organic and architectural elements really well. So like maybe the glyphs will look like they're building blocks and there's trees coming out of them or there's plants weaving in and out of them. It's really fascinating stuff. Yeah. Big fan. So she has some interesting stuff to say and we are very excited to highlight her. Another graphic designer, or really graphic designer and illustrator we wanted to highlight was Sophia Yeshi. She is an illustrator and designer based in Brooklyn from Baltimore, Maryland. And she kind of talks about her story of how she got into graphic design from like the very start to kind of where she got now, which is quite fascinating. And I don't see that much these days. I love that she says that she signed up for Neopets and a lot of the community was using Photoshop to create their designs. And that's how she discovered the software. And she kept on signing up for 30 day trials. And from that point on, she knew that's what she wanted to do with her career. I was obsessed with that little anecdote. That is super awesome. That reminds me of my MySpace days of like us learning how to design so that we could have like cool looking MySpace. Yeah, right. I, I have friends that learn code from being on Tumblr. It's so mm, funny how yeah. that works. Yeah. Um, so she talks about like kind of all the obstacles she overcome. Um, she is a black and South Asian woman of color. And she said that she wanted to go to art school, got into all art schools couldn't afford it. And so I ended up going to a local school in Baltimore where she was from, got the most out of that program, had some great professors and how she moved from there into the world she is now. I think it's a great story to remind us that you don't need an art school education to be a successful designer. You know, you can carve your own path. And we really believe in that sort of education as well here at the league. And we're really excited to see this highlighted and for her to inspire other people to do the same. If they have a passion, there's other ways to pursue it than having to go to art school. And she found a really successful way to do that. She has had great clients in most recent years as well. I think Refinery29 most recently hired her for illustrations. So um, just a really inspirational story. Yeah, totally. I love this. And she talks so humanly about it she's just like very natural just like you're having a conversation with a pal she does a great reminder to everybody as well um that you know instagram isn't everything i think especially now with no physical locations open to see artwork and design and to get inspired a lot of people are looking on instagram and you know it seems like there's just like these celebrities that are emerging out of nowhere and she just reminds us it's important to keep looking out for underdogs not necessarily everyone that's talented has to have a hundred thousand followers so mm, such Put a good message i love that ah, i know so very excited to share this really great profile our next article is on the technical side, but I think a really informative article as well. And that is responsive text, building readable text across screen sizes. Yeah, I once again hate that this is posted on Medium because it's so difficult to read, but I open it in an incognito window and it's it's a little bit code heavy for the web designer crowd. But I guess you were saying too, like it's good to bookmark and save this Mm -hmm. for a time when you might need it. And it kind of just walks through a pretty straightforward process of like, okay, you've got text on a web page. Let's pick a font. Let's understand how fonts load on the page and like give you some visual examples of the code that you need to understand to make that optimal. Then it starts getting into the more interesting stuff of like picking your font size and 
why you would pick a particular size. And then what I actually, what brought me to this article was the visual type scale, which is, this, mm-hmm. it's kind of a theory that we've mentioned once or twice before of having a consistent scaling size, kind of like a musical scale of mm-hmm. picking your font sizes based on, you know, a number. I like, loved that comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, if you don't play music, that doesn't mean that much to you. But if you do, you're like, oh, I instantly get this. But it's basically mm-hmm. like, okay, you've got your starting size, and then we multiply it by this particular number, and that's how we pick our sizes. So there's some consistency to the way that we're sizing things. For sure. I'm certainly going to bookmark this next time that I touch code for a website. And, you know, most of the web is still text and typography. It's a good sure. reminder that this stuff is, you know, very useful and very actionable. And then uh, before we move on to kind of our, our last link and our nerd alert, a quick shout out to, we've been trying to do this every week, just to say thank you to all of the league members who, you know, if you don't know, we have a membership with the league where you can sign up for a few bucks a month and get a bunch of extra awesome, useful goodies in your newsletter every week, such as fonts we've found that you might like, some free, some open source, some paid, just like cool font finds, and weekly jobs and gigs that you might be able to apply for, get some money, get a new gig, that kind of thing. If you are Um, on the fence about a membership, may I plug that for a limited time, we are sending our members welcome kits and they're arriving in the mail for the first ones we sent. And I'm just saying it's well worth it. I will write you a thank you note. I will hand calligraph an envelope for you. Which they're beautiful. They are so cool to see. I kind of wish I was getting one, but I understand. We can make that happen. It's about the members. But if you're on the fence... That is that is one more reason. That is a great perk. <laughs> and we've sent a we've sent a handful out and a few people have even gotten them, right? Yeah, yeah. One of our favorite members, Daniel Nisbet, got it and thanked us. Um, so we're super But excited. anyway, uh, league membership wanted to do a shout out, say thank you. And if you want to join next week, you will get those awesome goodies, all the perks that come after that too. So Absolutely. A little bit long ad roll, but it's okay because (laughs) it's just us. (laughs) All right. So our last link, this was found by our wonderful mate Hugo. And it's good because it's kind of uh, a fundamental. Like if you, if you already know design, it's a good reminder. If you're like kind of new to this whole category, it's, it's just a good overview of like what you need to think about in terms of typography for your brand, like how to use fonts to give your brand a particular emotion a particular meaning a way for people to like think about what your brand is like things to think about when you're choosing what font uh you should use in your branding and how certain fonts evoke certain emotions Mm -hmm. you know it's not super in-depth but at the same time it is a good overview of how to pick fonts how to think about the requirements that you would need for what kind of fonts to pick, how to think about budget and licensing for that kind of stuff, choosing between open source and paid and custom, you know, kind of a nice uh, touching on a bunch of a lot of typographic choices that you'd have to make. Yeah, I'd say before we move on, my favorite part of this article is that they do a section where they connect type styles to different emotions. And I never really know when to use a slap serif. I 
rarely use them in my work because I just, they don't fit with a lot of the clients that I work with, but it says they're good for brands that want to show off that they're confident, bold, and offbeat. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I think there's a lot of options for those three signifiers, but I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, you know, that's part of the detail that this doesn't quite have the ability to get into of like, yeah, some of these words could apply to a, to a bunch of different type choices and emotions. Um, but it's also a good darn starting point to think about that. Maybe you're going to yeah. use a slab serif in your next flipping project, my friend. I wish I could send this to like all of my friends and family that are like, what's a good font for my PowerPoint presentation? And they're like, mm. not at all designers. And I'm like, uh, let me try to be articulate about this without telling them all the knowledge and just not stop talking about this. So this is a really great overview. <laughs> good find, Hugo. Love it. Our next section. You're always so dramatic about this. I, I got to add the melodrama. It's nerdy information. <laughs> we got to make, we got to add the dramatics. Bum, 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 bum. Nerd alert. We're here. This is my placeholder sound effect, placeholder intro to my favorite segment every week. The only other segment that we really have besides our links. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, my favorite. Um, Okay, so this week, we're going to do a little roundup of font editors. So font editor is a software that you use to design a font. Now, Olivia, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. As someone who might be interested in making my first font, why would I be interested in a font editor software over something like Illustrator? I think all the font editing softwares, they have features that will streamline your process. For example, in Illustrator, you can make movable type, sure. I mean, no one's saying that you can't in Illustrator, but the Bezier curve softwares in font software programs are superior to Illustrator. I'll say that. They give you a lot more control because they're meant for just designing letter forms, nothing else. So the Bezier curves tools are typically better. I mean, you can organize your letters in a way where, you know, they're saved in these like kind of I guess, sorts, if we're trying to talk about like what they would be physically. So they're in the software, they're kind of designated space. So when you start typing, you can test your typeface really well. They're just meant for designing type. I mean, you can try it in Illustrator, but I think once you even open up FontForge, you would start to see the difference between what it takes to design a typeface and how that's different than your typical vector-based graphics. That's actually a great detail that I wouldn't have thought of first is by designing it in something like Glyphs or RoboFont or FontForge or whatever, it's kind of making a, a temporary font for you so that you can test out the letters by literally typing, as opposed to if you were doing it in Illustrator, it's not making a font, it's just drawing shapes. So you'd have to exactly. like, to test out a word, move them, line them up. You know, it's a very manual process. Don't get me wrong. I've designed movable type in Illustrator for a project before I've designed a font. And I think it's a great place to start, but you're certainly not going to be making anything that's like kind of close to what we think of as a font in our brain. You know what I mean? Just because it's not, you have to manually space everything if you do it on Illustrator. And in a type software, you put in some metrics and it will always put, you know, the T and the A at a certain distance every time you type it. And like that sort of stuff is invaluable if you're trying to test out how successful your typeface is because the negative space is just as important as the positive space. That is such a good, wholesome message. Not to mention too, I think a lot of these tools have, we teach this in the typography class that we did once upon a time. You can build 
letters with components of letters. So you like yes. draw a crossbar and can reuse it, which you can certainly do in Illustrator, but they're not connected. They're just new shapes, right? Whereas mm -hmm. in a font uh, editing software, you'd be able to adjust the original and it would adjust in all of your letters, which that time saving stuff makes the whole process just less massive. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I wanted to you know give some intro into why you might be interested in the different font editors that we're talking about, and then you know start exploring which font editor might be cool for you. For sure, I think anyone that's designed a typeface has started at this point at some oh. at some given point at the beginning. So we're gonna start because I'm a little biased. We're gonna start with my software that I use to design fonts, and I think Micah, you've used this too. It's Glyphs. Yes, Glyphs is like, I would say, the current go-to standard if you're on a Mac. Yes, yes. So Glyphs is a Mac-only software, but I actually used it in college when I was designing my font. I knew nothing about designing a typeface, and so I looked into a few. It seemed like Glyphs was, the, was industry standard had a really easy to use user interface, had a bunch of tutorials available, mm. um, and it was quite affordable. So like that's kind of where I ended up using Glyphs. So a little bit about it, it was released in 2011. So it's actually one of the more recent type design software that is I'm, available. I'm honestly shocked to hear that that was your college experience because like in college, there was no approachable font design software. What did you use for like early leak fonts? Uh, FontForge existed, but it was basically FontLab or Die. Mm-hmm. I have FontLab in here. And I think I was really excited when Glyphs came out, I remember, and that's why we've kind of promoted it a lot with the League, because mm -hmm. it was the first font design software that felt approachable. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good-looking interface, and I think they did a really great job of making the shortcuts similar to Adobe Creative Cloud, mm. um, so that it's a lot of people that were graphic designers could easily approach it. I think it's great for beginners. It's great for professionals. It has a wide accessibility. All of these software, I'm pretty sure you can make variable fonts um, using these software that we're talking about today, so that's great. Um, it's all mostly kept up to date. They have a great selection of commercial and free plugins. I mean, I recently got a plugin for Glyphs because I was doing some lettering work in Glyphs and it like showed me where my kinks were and my curves, which is a super optical thing that you have to train your eye to do. And it just double checks your work for you. So I loved that. I mean, that's some really technical stuff. That was a free plugin. They have they have such a large community that a lot of people are making tools for them. Um, mm. So that's like a great perk of Glyphs. A lot of more indie educational programs will use Glyphs. Like if there's a random type design course at your college, like I think a lot of them endorse Glyphs because it's easy to, it's super accessible for students and teachers. So the price yeah, they actually Glyphs, have student and teacher discounts. Yeah, exactly. I kind of got all those rounded up for anyone interested. Um, a regular version, regular license of Glyphs is 250 euros, which, you know, around $250. The mini version, which is a really pared down version, is $50. Pared I, down just means it doesn't have a lot of the advanced stuff that you would want in like a professional font or the kind of, you know, the, the kind of stuff that we were trying to put on the marketplace or on the league or something. Yeah. But I've also seen a lot of people who were just getting started be like, I am happy with Glyphs Mini. Like this is, you can make For a sure. whole font with Glyphs Mini. Yes, you can. Um, For 50 bucks. 
if you're a student, you can get the pro version half off, which was what I did as a student, which I felt really lucky to do. You send them your photo ID and you get a discount. Um, like really great. I mean, that was a big deciding factor for me. If you're a teacher, you get a 33% discount. And then I think you can get bigger discounts. If you're teaching a class, you can contact them. Customer mm -hmm. support's super friendly. They're very like personal, small group of people. So that's my glyphs is my favorite, but we're going to talk about yeah. all of them. Okay. So. so number one is glyphs. What's number two? Okay. So similar to glyphs, and I think their main competitor is Robofont. I actually first heard about Robofont because when I was looking at the Type at Cooper program, I noticed that they used Robofont. So I was kind of interested in what the differences were. So I went on their website. I've also talked to some people throughout the years and kind of remember what they've said. It is really great if you have an understanding of Python, actually, because they kind of give you a bare bones software, but they encourage their users to build tools and to build scripting for automation or to build the code that creates a certain look to the typeface. It is, you know, used by professionals as well. So it's definitely industry standard. It is $490 for a full license, but if you're a student, you can get it free for one year or you can get a student subscription where you pay $50 per academic year. There's a free trial for anyone that just wants to test it out as well. And it's Mac only, similar to Glyphs. So I'd say Glyphs and Robofont are pretty much competitors of each other. Third one that we're going to review is FontLab 7. So that's the newest iteration of FontLab. FontLab has been around for a long time. They're certainly um, up to industry standards, used by a lot of font foundries. They've been around since 1992. Designers from Adobe, Apple, Monotype, Microsoft have all used FontLab. So I think a lot of people in the past have said there's a really big learning curve with FontLab because it's up to these industry standards and it's used by people that have been designing typefaces for a long time. But I think they've been like trying to start to get on the like glyphs board <laughs> where it, I looked at some videos and it seems like the interface is actually pretty similar to glyphs, which is like very streamlined, looks, you know, accessible, easy to use. I certainly think there might still be some learning curves because it's such an advanced software. And from all the tutorials I was looking at on their site, it looks like they have a lot of automated features for perfecting technical details and adding an extra level of precision. I think a lot of people are designing huge families and there's a lot of small technical details that kind of want automated at this point. So they don't have to like figure it out themselves, um, just be efficient. So it looks like there's a lot of that. Something that I really thought was interesting when I looked at their site and FontLab 7, they now have this brush and power brush tool. Mm. So you can basically, um, with Bezier curves, draw a skeleton of a shape of a letter form. And then you get all these drop down menus for how to turn that skeleton into like calligraphic writing. So you can put in a broad edge nib and it'll make it look like it was calligraphically done, that skeleton. That's um, very interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that before. And I feel like Illustrator tries to do that with their brush tools. And I don't know. I never can make them do what I want them to do. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, this one's available for Mac or PCs. Um, lots of video tutorials, which is, I guess, something I would look for if I was choosing a, you know, software. It is $459 for a full license. So similar to Robofont. And there's a 30-day trial available. And there's some educational packages as well. I think it's $89 for one year, $229 for the full license. Hmm. So for students, they do have some deals. And last but not least, we have the open source font editing software, FontForge. 
This has been around for a while, I think since the early 2000s. It's, avail it's available for Mac or PC. Um, so because it's open source, it means it's free. Um, kind of how it works is everyone can redistribute copies of the software. They can redistribute it on change or they can improve the software if they like. The open source code is available. They have like a very intense manual to help you um, understand how to use the software. There are some video tutorials, but they're mostly on YouTube and I don't think they're by FontForge. So that's something that, you know, if you really are a self-starter, you can figure it out, but it might not be as easy as the other softwares. Um, it's a pared down interface. There's not any like deluxe features that I think some of these other um, companies have it available in their plugins, but it's a great intro for someone with no budget and they just want to explore and create a font. I mean, definitely you can make a pro level font with this software. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think one of the other interesting things is that they've worked really hard, not just on the manual for how to use the software, but they have linked on their homepage an online book designed with FontForge, which is about oh, cool. how to make typefaces. And, you know, it walks you through doing it with FontForge, obviously, but it also talks you through, like, this is the letters that you start with. This is how to do word spacing. Let's start making capital letters. And then we'll mm -hmm. move on to numeral, like, basically walking you through making a font mm -hmm. with FontForge, which is kind of cool. I love that. Yeah, I think there's definitely pros and cons to all of these. I mean, like, certainly Mike and I are a little bit more familiar with glyphs if anyone has any questions, but I think they're all very viable options. They're all industry standard, and they're all kind of worth looking into and comparing once you're ready to invest in a software. If anyone needs to start designing a typeface, they have to figure out what software they're going to use. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, that's what I got for everyone today. Lots that was a great roundup. Packed into the Nerlert, packed into our links, packed into positive Twitter praise. I need to do that more often. We should make that a segment. Positive yeah. things happening on Twitter. I do like that. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, all right. so thank you, Olivia. You are awesome as always. Thanks, Micah, for joining me and teaching me about digital products because that's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks, everybody, for joining us again this week. It is always fun. And we will be back next week with even more fun schnaz to share. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>